Well, good morning to all of you. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, yeah, I'm wearing short sleeves. I just wanted you guys all to feel warmer looking at me. Uh, well, I do want to thank you for coming out on a cold, snowy day. Uh, we appreciate that, and it's great to be here with you, my church, my family. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point. And uh, it is the new year, and we're, we're just barely in a 2015. And one of the things that we often talk about when, when we enter a new year is change. We talk about, we think about things that we want to change about our lives. So I want to capitalize on that today, and I want to ask you, what is it that you want to change about your life? There, there has to be something. If some of you are out there saying, I'm good, I don't need to change, there's nothing I would change about my life, I'm just not buying it. If you can honestly tell me that there's nothing that you want to change about your life, then you're at the wrong church. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Because we all need to change. We all want to change if we're being honest with ourselves. So what is it about your life that you want to change in 2015, this year? You know, many of us have some kind of habit or um, problem or issue or vice or sin that we've struggled with for many years and we just can't seem to kick it. it for you, it might be greed. It might be uh, you know, selfishness. It might be um, gossip. It might be jealousy or envy. It might be pride or arrogance. It, it could be anger. It could be lust or fantasies. Whatever it is, you know, we, we, most of us have this one sin, this one issue that is just, it just seems to be part of who we are. And we can't, we can't create enough distance between us and that sin. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we pray, uh, nothing seems to change. Change, as much as we want it and as much as we pray for it, it just seems out of reach at times when it comes to certain things. You know, one of the sins that I battle, and, and this is, I'm just going to be honest with you today, I, I don't want to tell you this, but I, I feel like i got to tell you something. I mean, there's just a lot of sins I could talk about in my life. One of the things that I struggle with is envy. I struggle with envy. And I'll give you an example of how this, this creeps into my life. I'm on Facebook. A lot of you are on Facebook. And I have uh, quite a few pastor friends that I've uh, grown in, 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 into a friendship with over the last few years. And they have churches too that they serve in. And sometimes they post things on Facebook about amazing things that are happening at their church. You know, uh, we had, you know, we, we packed three services today. You know, our building expansion is uh, going great. You know, we baptized 100 people last week or things like that. And when I look at, sometimes when I look at things like that, I look at that post and I'm like, oh, that's great. We meet in a high school and I come in the auditorium some weeks and it feels empty. And, I, you know, I don't even want to think about the baptisms. And, oh, man, you know, I'm so happy for you. And so, you know, I'll put on the comment on the post, you know, yippee for you, send. No, I don't. I don't actually say, do that. But that's kind of what I want to do in the moment. And that's wrong. 
That's totally wrong. It's, it's ugly is what it is. And then I, I realize I want those churches to grow. I want my friends to succeed. I want, I want more and more people to flow into local churches like theirs and hear the gospel and repent and be baptized and grow in their faith. I want that more than anything. And I'm like, who was that a few minutes ago? Where did that come from? That's not me. That's sin in me. That's what that is. That is sin, you know, taking over. That's me giving in to sin. That's what that is. And, and it happens, and I want to change that. I need to change that, but it's really hard. It's, it's so very hard. You know, um, uh, moms and, and wives in here, you're on Facebook, a lot of you. You know what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't need to even tell you. You know, you guys, I, I'm friends with a lot of you on Facebook, and you post things about your kids and how awesome your kids are, your husband, how great he is. And my, I have the best husband. He just did this. And I'll bet you, I don't know this for a fact, but I'll bet that sometimes you're like, man, I wish my husband would do something worth posting on Facebook about. You know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That's envy. That's what that is. That's what that is. And it happens to us. Um, you know, does it ever seem to you like in certain situations, sinful desires just sort of come alive in you? Like something was awakened and, and you can't put it back to sleep until you do something about it? Does that ever feel like that? Does it ever feel to you like sin has a life of its own? Do you ever feel helpless against the power of sin? Have you ever felt overwhelmed or overmatched by temptation? Have you ever felt like God was playing a cosmic joke on you, telling you that you have to control your urges to sin when you don't actually have power to do it? You ever felt like that? Like you just have to do it. And, and that, I want to tell you, is one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that when you're confronted with temptation, you don't have a choice. You don't have the power. You have to do that thing. You don't have a choice. You have to gossip. You have to tell them about what, what happened, what's happening in their lives. You have, to, you have to lie. You have to deceive. You have to act on your anger. You, know, you have to yell. You have to look at that. Or you have to look at her. We're, t- we're told by the enemy time and time again, you just don't have a choice. This is what you have to do. And if you don't do it, you won't be happy. You, or, or you'll explode. You know, and, then you, and then, of course, the lie is you have to cover it up. You have to. You can't let other people know that, that this is your, your issue. And if we believe that lie, we will do what sin wants us to do. We'll do it every time. We won't change. Not if we believe that lie. And if you think that you don't have to change or that you can't change, then you're pretending to be someone you're not. Did you know that? Because every single person who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ has been given a new nature and a new identity and a new life. And there is no going back to who you were. You can pretend like you're still the same person. You can try to go back. But according to God, you're new. And you are bound to change. You are going to change. Isn't that good news? And so what I want you to hear today, this is so important. I, I want you to remember this one thing today. 
Being bound to Jesus Christ means you are bound to change. You are bound to change. You are going to change if you belong to Jesus. There's no going back. And that is good news for us today. And I'm going to read, we're going to be reading today from the first part of Romans chapter 6. And, and this is such an awesome, awesome passage of scripture. And I am so excited to share it with you today. And if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Romans chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And I, 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 I hesitate to say this because all of God's word is powerful and all of God's word is uh, relevant and able to change your life. But I'm telling you this morning, if you believe what you hear from God's word today, it will change your life. And it has the power to change your life dramatically, no matter what change you think is out of reach. And so let's read together. We're just going to start out reading the first verse. And uh, before we do, please let me uh, pray. Our Father God, I thank you so much, God, for your presence here today. I thank you for your word, which is life to us. I, I, am, I am merely a vessel here today, and I, I pray, God, that your word would become clear, that your word would be uh, lifted up and heard and understood and obeyed. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would come in power and that you would make clear to us what you want us to do and remind us who we are today and change our hearts so that we become more like Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's, re- let's read uh, the first verse in Romans 6 today. I have it on the screen behind me in case you, you uh, don't have a Bible in front of you. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means. And so what he's saying is that if we're wondering why we need to change our lives, that indicates a gross misunderstanding of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. That's what it indicates. Because for the first chapter of the first five chapters of Romans, which we've been looking at over the last few months, we've been in the first five chapters of Romans, and what we've seen is that God's grace is amazing. And that the good news about God, the gospel of God, as the Apostle Paul talks about it, is that God justifies the ungodly. He says, when we were sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to clean up our act first. We don't have to become like God for God to accept us. He became like us. He forgave us. He cleansed us. He made us like him. And we simply receive his righteousness as a gift by faith. That's what he's been saying. And uh, we don't do anything to be accepted by God. We trust him. We simply trust what he has done. That's grace. And now, the Apostle Paul anticipates that some people will take this amazing grace to the wrong conclusion. And and he realizes that some people will use grace uh, as an excuse to sin. So he just got done saying at the end of Romans 5 that where where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, God's grace is so vast and limitless that no amount of sin can outmeasure God's grace. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's, he's saying that there's no amount of sin that God's grace cannot overcome. And if that's true, if that's true, why not keep sinning? Some people were saying, or some people might say, why not keep sinning? If the gospel doesn't require me to clean up my act or do anything but simply trust in God's work on the cross through Jesus, why clean up my act at all? 
Why change? Why not live any way I want to? Some people come to that conclusion. Other people ask, you know, if I, if I commit my life to God, if I commit my life to Jesus, will I have to change this? Will I have to stop doing this? And anytime anyone asks questions like that in response to God's grace, they are totally missing the point. Do you know why? Because grace is meant, the, the point of grace is to liberate us from sin. Anyone who receives grace does so because they desperately want to stop sinning. That's what grace is for. So to say, you know, if, if grace is so great, then maybe we should keep on sinning, totally misses the point. And so Paul goes on to tell us why anyone who has actually received the grace of God can't continue to live the way they've always lived. He, he, he wants us to know why. Why this, is impo- why this is preposterous. So he continues in Romans 6, verse 2. We're going to keep reading uh, through verse 8 now. He says, this is now the reason. Remember, this is the reason you can't continue to live like you've always lived. How can, he, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, that's united with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that's our flesh, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. He, he's talking about change. The Apostle Paul is talking about immense change in our lives. And what he's saying is that the key to a changed life is our union to Jesus. The key to a changed life is our union with Jesus Christ. He, talks, he uses that word united. You've been united to Christ in his death. You've been united to him in his burial. You've been united to him in his resurrection. Union, that word united, is a horticultural term. And it describes grafting a branch into a tree so that the branch eventually produces the fruit of the tree. Some of you have maybe done this or seen this. What happens is you make a cut in the, in the root of the tree or the trunk and you, you shove the branch down into it. You wrap it up very tightly together so that the life of the tree flows into the branch and they eventually become one and you take the, you take the wrapping off and it, they're one. They, it looks like they've been together all along. A, a single organism, united, never to be separated again and so the branch then begins to draw its life from the tree and bear the fruit of the tree and the, and the life of the tree flows through to the branch giving it life and through the branch giving life to others. That's the... That's what the word means. That's what this union, the kind of union we're talking about here. And Jesus, Jesus talked about this with his disciples. He said in John 15, to his disciples, he said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. 
You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and you know what's awesome about that, ver- that passage that uh, we read from John 15 is that what the Apostle Paul is saying is that through faith, you are a branch. That's, that's who you are. It's who you are. This is your new identity. You are one with Jesus. You will bear fruit because you're one with Jesus. And what this means is that not only has your relationship to God changed, but your relationship to sin has changed through this union with Jesus. Your relationship to sin is forever changed. How has it changed exactly? Well, we're told that you died. We died to sin. Past tense, we died. It already happened. When did it happen? In in Paul's mind, it happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. Because Jesus died, you died. Because Jesus lives, you live. Because Jesus defeated sin, you are victorious. Because Jesus won, you won. That's union with Christ. You died to sin on the cross with Christ. And that death transferred you from the domain or realm or kingdom where sin has all the power to a new domain and realm and kingdom where grace has all the power. That's what has happened through faith. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul talks about this, this uh, transfer of domains. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption, remember, is deliverance. It, it's, it's setting us free from bondage. That's what redemption is. And, and when we're transferred, when, we, when God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to light, we're redeemed, we're delivered. Sin no longer has the power. In Acts 26, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is sharing with somebody about uh, a conversation he had with the Lord Jesus when he met Jesus uh, on the road uh, to Damascus. And he's, Jesus gave the Apostle Paul his uh, mission. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul says. This is what his life is supposed to be about. To open their eyes, as he's talking about the Gentiles, he's talking about us. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There's the power transfer. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, that's set apart, by faith in me. So when you put faith, when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, something incredibly huge happens. You change kingdoms. And you no longer live in the kingdom where, where sin is the governing authority. You've been transferred to a, a new kingdom. Sin can't control you anymore. It has no dominion over you. And, and that change of kingdoms is, is so real and radical that your new relationship to sin is defined by God as dead. Dead. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's something new about you. Now that doesn't of course mean, and I have to say this, 
that doesn't mean that you are immune to sin. It doesn't mean you can't be tempted. It doesn't mean that you can't say yes to sin and do terrible things. What it does mean is that now in Christ, we have the power to resist sin. Through faith in Jesus, a Christian for the first time can stop sinning and change. We can say no to sin anytime we want to. And Satan and all his servants can tempt you and accuse you and drudge up the past and make you feel guilty and helpless. They can attack you all day, but they have no power over you. They have no authority over you. They have no ownership over you. They lost that power at the cross of Jesus. Now, the next question I want to ask you is, how did this happen? How did we die to sin? How did this actually happen? The Apostle Paul tells us, it happened by baptism. It happened by baptism. And I I want to explain that for a minute. We are united to Christ by baptism. That's, That's what he says, by baptism into his death and his burial and resurrection. And some of you might be thinking, does that mean that when I was, you know, baptized physically, that I was united to Christ? No, that's not what he means because we know that the first five chapters, Paul's point was it's not about a physical right. It's about faith. Faith is what unites you to Christ. But in Paul's mind, faith and baptism go together. Okay, physical baptism and spiritual baptism, they go together. And anytime anyone was uh, put their faith in Jesus in the first century, they were baptized almost immediately. And so he's talking to baptized Christians. That's who he's talking to. There really was no such thing in the first century as someone who was following Jesus but wasn't baptized. It was just, that would have been a foreign concept to Paul. And so he's just assuming that everyone he's talked to has been baptized. Has been baptized and what baptism signifies is your union with Christ. So when we uh, baptize people, we, we bring them into a big tank of water. Some of you were at the service about a month ago and we, you know, we put them all the way under. And we, we do that because the word baptize means immerse and, and, or submerge. And we put all the way under because that represents your death, to, your death with Christ to sin. You are dying to your old way of life. And when we, and, and, uh, when we bring the person out of the water, that represents their new life with Christ, their union with Christ. They are now raised to new life, just like Jesus was. That's what baptism is. Baptism tells a story. It's like a a drama of sorts that tells the story of your redemption and the work that God has done in your heart to unite you to Jesus and kill your sin and change your relationship to sin so that sin no no longer has power over you. When you come up out of that water, you are entering a new kingdom. That's what it represents. It represents a very real spiritual reality that has happened in your life. That's why it's so awesome. That's why we celebrate it. That's why you should get baptized. If you believe in Jesus, you haven't been baptized. Oh man, it's just an awesome experience. It's what God wants for us. It's what God wants for his church. But what you might not know about baptism is is it not only means to immerse, it had violent overtones. The word was commonly used. It was before the uh, disciples and the writers of the New Testament used the word baptism. Before the apostle, or before uh, John the Baptist even baptized anyone, 
the word for baptism just meant to immerse. And a lot, a lot of people normally would use the word to talk about someone who drowned or a ship being sunk. So it re- <clears throat> normally it would describe a violent death. It's not just, you know, <clears throat> like dipping your chip in salsa. That's not what it means. It, it, it signified a violent death. And Jesus, in fact, used the word to talk about his own crucifixion. So this isn't just any kind of immersion. This is, this is a, a, a violent death that's being pictured here in relationship to sin. In relationship to your sin. And what that means is that your life in Christ should be radically different. Dramatically different. So, I think that we bring very small ambitions to our relationship with God. I really do. I do it, I do it you do it. You know, we, we sometimes approach God, like, or, or approach Jesus like, we want to add more Jesus to our life. Or we want to fit more of God into our schedule. Listen, you, you, don't, you don't just go around merely looking for ways to use God to improve your life. That's not, how we, that's not how we relate to God. That's not how we're supposed to relate to God. We need more than a pick-me-up. We need more than inspiration. We need more than rehabilitation and renovation. We need a new kind of life with God at the center. And that's what baptism is about. It's about entering this... It's about... This violent death and burial in regards to our past and a totally new life with God at the center. That's what we're in for. That's what, we're, that's what we need. In, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis is, is talking about our new relationship with God and the kind of changes that people sort of expect when they come to God for relationship. And this is what he says. He, Imagine yourself living in a house and God comes to rebuild that house. At first, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. You knew you needed some things to change, right? You're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts terribly and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little college, but he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. Man, what a beautiful picture of our new life in Christ and how, you know, we sometimes think, God, if you could just make me a nicer person or if you could just help me to control my envy or if you could just, you know, adjust some things here and some things over there, I would be happy. And God is in this for way more than that and we should be too. We need way more change than we know yet, than we realize yet. And so for the Christian... Change is not an option. Ongoing change is no longer an option. It's a necessity. It's an absolute necessity of the Christian life. If Jesus lives in us, if he lives in us, okay, how how would you describe union with Christ to a child? Isn't that how we describe it to a child? when When you put your trust in Jesus, he comes to live in your heart. 
And I've heard some people criticize that over the years, and I probably have too. You know, oh, that's not really theologically totally accurate or whatever. But I can't think of a better way to describe union with Christ to a child. I, I can't. Jesus does live in us. By his spirit, Jesus makes his home with us, he says. He, his life fills us. It comes through us. That's what happens. That's what union with Christ is about. So, so one of the questions you should be asking by now is, if that's true, if I'm dead to sin and alive to God, if that's really true about me, why do I keep sinning? Why does it seem like I can't change? Why, is it, why do I still have this issue or this you know, addiction? Some of you are, are fighting addiction. Why can't I break free from that? If I'm dead to sin. We're, we're going to be exploring that question in the next couple weeks. Uh, more and more and more. The next few weeks we're going to be looking at that. But today we're going to open this up, okay? And uh, we're going to continue reading through verse 14 now of Romans chapter 6. And the Apostle Paul gives us a hint. A big one. Romans 6, uh, verse, verses, beginning in verse 9. This is what he says. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what we're supposed to do. Beginning in verse 11 or 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." We are under grace now, and that changes everything. So the reason, according to this passage, that you and I still sin even though we're dead to sin is that we do not consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We don't consider ourselves that way. We don't look at ourselves that way. We don't think about ourselves that way a lot of the time. We forget that about ourselves. We forget that reality we forget the fact of our union with Christ. We are like branches that are trying to draw our life from everything but the tree we're attached to. We're like a six-year-old boy who runs away from home every other week because he thinks he can live independently from his parents. We are like uh, a wife who is living like she's single, trying to enjoy all the riches of marriage apart from her husband. We're like freed slaves who still cower in the presence of their old master. We have forgotten that we are free. We forget that in our day-to-day existence. When I got married to my wife on June 23rd, 2002, my status changed. I became legally bound to my wife. I became married. I had to fill out all the forms differently. My tax stuff changed. All of that changed in a day. I became married. I became a husband. I was legally, I was legally her husband. I was no longer single. 
But it took me a long time to start acting like a husband. You know what I'm talking about, guys? A really long time. I'm still, I still don't act like a husband sometimes. You know, it took me a long time to leave behind my singleness. And I lost sight of the fact of my marriage and how my marriage actually changes everything about me. The way I spend my money, the way I, I think about my, my life, my goals, um, how I use my time, how I use my body. So there were times I would let sin borrow my eyes. When a beautiful girl would walk by, I would let sin would be like, hey, can I borrow your eyes for a minute? Sure. Woo! You know? I let that happen. More than I'd like to admit. You know, I had been single for 28 years. I, I couldn't unlearn that in a day. It took me a long time to start acting like a husband. On May 6, 2004, I became a dad. And the same thing happened. Even though in a moment, I became a father, I only had a clue how to act like one. It, I, mean, I still, after 10 years and 5 children, I'm still learning how to be a dad. There are many times when I don't act like a dad. I put myself before my kids at times. I take the path of least resistance at times. I let sin borrow my mouth at times to yell at my kids and tell them how I really feel. I've let sin do that a lot. And even though I'm a father, I don't often act like one. I don't even feel like a father sometimes. But I'm a father. I am my kid's dad. But you know that many times the way we feel does not reflect reality. You guys know that. You know that. So when I turned 40, I started, I started working. I start, a little, actually, it was a little while after I turned 40. I started exercising. I started changing. I started taking care of my body. You know, I, I started to work out not long ago. And even though sometimes after I work out, I feel muscular, when I look in the mirror, I'm reminded I'm still skinny. The reality is I am skinny. Okay, I can't, I don't know if I can change that. Sometimes I feel poor when I'm around certain people, when I'm in certain neighborhoods, but then I remember I'm rich. I'm among the top 2% wealthiest people in the world. I'm not poor. Sometimes I feel helpless, but then I remember I'm alive in Christ. I have all the power I need. Sometimes I feel like God is disappointed with me, like God doesn't like me, like he doesn't love me anymore, like he doesn't want to spend time with me, like he's upset with me. And then I remember that is not true because I am united to Christ. God is delighted in me. He treats me like his own son. Sometimes I feel angry, but then I remember God is not angry with me. So why am I angry? Sometimes I feel envy when I see what other people have, when I, see, when I hear what other people are doing. But then I'm reminded I've been given so much more than I deserve. I've been given everything I need and more in Christ Jesus. That's the reality. I can say no. I have the power to say no to sin anytime I want to. You are bound to Jesus, which means you're bound to change. You're dead to sin and alive to God. You've been given a precious gift, forgiveness, and a new life 
in Christ. You know, it's not just forgiveness. If all we had was forgiveness, it wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be enough to change us. And so we're given more. We're forgiven of all our debts. It's all covered. And we're given the power to stop sinning, to live this new life. Jesus is yours and you are his. He lives in you. Are you living like it? Are you living like it? Look, if you're, if you're someone who makes New Year's resolutions, I know some of you frown on that and that's okay and some of you are all into that. Let me give you a New Year's resolution. This is what I want more than anything else for this year. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, the, the thing I want most is, is not a bigger church or, you know, more baptisms and all that kind of stuff. That stuff is great. I would, I would love that, but that's not my, that's not what I want most for us as a church. You know what I want? Holiness. Holiness. I want to say no to sin and I want to say yes to God. That's what I want more of this year. Are you with me? As Cross Point Church, that's what God wants for us. That's why He sent Jesus Christ to purchase our salvation. It was for holiness. We are set apart for Him. When He talks about us as a bride, He talks about us as being spotless. He wants to present us spotless and radiant. That's what God is concerned about. He wants us to be more like his son Jesus, more than anything else. So will you resolve to be holy this year? And, and let, me, let me say this one last thing. And, and we put the last slide up. I, I wanted to show you that that's the series graphic for this series we're in in the book, Romans 6, 7, and 8. As we explore Romans 6, 7, and 8, Romans 6, 7, and 8 is about how we change in Christ, how our lives change. And I want you to see this. This is what holiness feels like. This is what holiness feels like. I, I get hurt, I, not hurt, but oh, it just, it just kills me when I hear people say, holiness, holiness sounds so constraining. It sounds so like, I don't know, I feel like, why holiness? Why, why should I want holiness? Then, I, then I'm not going to enjoy life. I'm not going to be able to do the things I really want. And the opposite is true. Holiness is liberating. Obeying God leads to freedom and joy and happiness and peace. I mean, oh, if you, if you only knew, and some of you do, you know, when, when we obey God, we, we enter into this I mean, anything is possible sphere. Holiness is liberating. That's what it feels like. And God wants us to experience that with him. He wants us to experience that life with him, that life of obedience, where where sin is no longer our master. Because that's not who we are. That's not who we are. We're dead to sin, and we're alive to God. That's what's true about you. Remember that this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you. For your word, I thank you for your power that lives within us, God, to, to change us, to separate us from sin, to, to, uh, to become alive in you, to, to enjoy the life of Christ that is, is in us, and to share it with others. I, I pray, God, that you would empower us this week to, to live the life you called us to live and to say no to sin and yes to you whenever we're tempted, whenever we get the opportunity. God, as we take this offering now, we, 
We are so thankful for everything you've done this last year, and we look forward to what you're going to do in 2015. And we just want to set this offering apart for you, God, and to say, use use this giving, God, today to grow your kingdom. To grow your kingdom. Use it to call people to a deeper life with you, to, to make people holy, to lead people to repentance, and to empower us for new life. We're so thankful for your gift to us, God, so we give back to you joyfully. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Praise God. I thank you so much for uh, uh, hearing the word today and um, for being here to worship our great God this morning. And I pray that you would be reminded this week who you are in Christ and be empowered to, to live and walk in newness of life. That's what, we're, that's what we're made for. That's what we're remade for. And uh, so I want to leave you with this verse, which is a pretty well-known verse to most of you. And it comes from Galatians 2.20. And this is what it reads. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. You are dismissed.